Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we've got David Stevens. And David, um, welcome to the show. Please uh, give us a, a little bit of your history and tell us about yourself. Uh, thank you. Um, my name is David Stevens. I'm the Vice President of Information Technology at TIE Industrial uh, and just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we have a, two sites up in Michigan as well, uh, along with our, our main site here. Uh, we are an aftermarket uh, robotics CNC controls uh, shop that does a lot of rebuilding, kind of solves different problems between our three different sites. Uh, so our IT side is uh, is always something new uh, with all three different kind of disparate business units. Aftermarket robotics. So um, tell me a little more about that. Like um, you said, you're doing a lot of repair, but what kind of robotics are you repairing? In? Um, it's, a, it's a lot of, of the larger arms uh, that you see that, you know, used for the automotive industry, but it, it's actually a, across a lot of different industries. Um, our main core business here uh, traditionally has been around the CNC, uh, which is used by a lot of the machine shops um, for a lot. Uh, you know, it, it can be used for any kind of machining. Um, they're, they're usually very large items, and we do the controls and the motors for those. And they're, like I said, the robots, the, the larger robot arms, uh, we do... Um, you know, traditionally we do a lot of fanic uh, uh, parts as well as our as our biggest one. They are the biggest in the industry. We also handle some other groups as well. Um, and kind of exciting from the IT uh, perspective, here in the last uh, six months, we've actually acquired Robots.com. Uh, so we're uh, getting that marketplace moved over to our our side as well. Cool. Um, wow, sounds like a, a different kind of a world than what I live in with the uh, transportation and, and trying to move all of the product back and forth and, and the other organizations we work with. But uh, right before the call, we were talking a little bit and we were talking about the environment that we find ourselves in as IT professionals and and approaching the holidays. And, and uh, you mentioned something, is this the new norm? And, and for those who aren't um, in the same mindset that David and I are, um, we were just talking about how how the volume of work and the volume of requests and the the volume, really the volume of work for IT or information technology people just seems to be increasing and the pace seems to be increasing. So um, you got any thoughts about that, David? Let's bring this conversation out to to everybody else. Well, I mean, you know, certainly, obviously, across industries and everybody I've I've seen, you know, everybody has that trouble with the hiring. Uh, a lot of companies, you know, between COVID and other factors in the economy have, have really, you know, everybody's been a little bit more conservative with their money as well. So, you know, you, your, your staffing needs or what people are willing to commit to, uh, but the needs on the business are almost constantly changing. Um, you know, I mean, one of the biggest examples, you know, we do things with a fairly small staff here, but right at the beginning of COVID, we kind of went from occasionally some people working from home to where basically half our staff was working from home. And that was, you know, in about two to three days. Uh, that would be a fairly large project, you know, for anybody. And usually you would time that out. But um, I think that quick movement, quick moving uh, notion is just really what we're going to have for quite some time. 
Um, I don't I don't really see that changing for for most of the companies. Uh, even as we come out and the economy recovers, that's going to be a, another sprint that where we all try to to get back to whatever the new norm is after that. But um, I think that, you know having more users offsite, all of those things really do affect IT in many ways. And there's just a lot more to the management and how we uh, perceive things. So you still have a, a, how large of a chunk of your population of your worker population is remote? Um, I would say about a third now is what we're down to. Um, and, and some of the staff comes in for a day or two a week. Uh, our production staff has to be on site. I mean, you, obviously you can't fix a robot arm uh, from home too often. So, um, but the, uh, a lot of our account management and some of the other staff, uh, they either work from home part-time or, or in many cases full-time because they've kind of found where their groove was. And it's amazing how many of our, our groups uh, originally went home not happy about going home and then now are desperate to stay there because they love it because uh, they've, they've really worked. You know, we, we, we had used Slack and, and then it just moved over into Teams. Uh, right before all that hit and it was just almost perfect timing um and and that really we we had to get up to speed quickly and get our our end users which aren't always the most technical in nature up on teams and how to use it quickly yeah see we had a large population that was already used to the im scenario and and luckily for us we had built all of the infrastructure for the remote work um one of my guys was telling me a few days before, he's like, you know, I keep hearing this stuff, so I'm just going to start spinning up some more resources, make sure that all of this stuff is is available. And he, he jokingly called it the doomsday servers. Um, and then <laughs> over a three-day period, we decided, and like 90% of the people went home, had skeleton staff in the office, but we quickly came back to the office and at max, I'd say we probably have 5% working from home. Um, and even that 5%, it's still a majority of those were ones that were already working from home. I like the sales team who would travel out and, and go around the country anyway. So they um, they were able to stay remote. Yeah, that, um, but, that, that, was, the, that was the previous standard, right? Was yeah, the, was the yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, and we had moved... Um, a lot of stuff already to the cloud. Uh, that was already a move we were making. Uh, so that helped um, sped up a couple of, you know, obviously you just change your priorities and and uh, and then move on. Right. And then the, um, the other new normal that you talked about was the, uh, the professional environment and how, um, now I'm competing against companies that are are no longer local for the talent. Um, they're hiring people away, offering them national wages, and and we've been able to enjoy kind of a a local wages. Um, <laughs> air quotes around the word enjoy depends on which <laughs> side of this you're looking at it from from the business aspect or from the employee aspect. Um, but we're definitely competing with organizations that we've never had to compete with before for our our staff or our talent um, and uh, the wage market. So retention has become harder. Um, 
Yeah, there's a well, and then just the number of projects that are coming at us. Um, even with the economy tightening up, I also have seen. You know, I was working at the same organization back in 2008 when things tightened up, and um, I was able to successfully argue that the IT staff, if anybody needed to increase their staff or maintain, it was IT so that we could help the remaining or the organizations do more with less. And I think we're facing an even stronger wave of that right now and and into the near future. Yeah, I mean, I I think so too. Um, I think a lot of us that lived through some of the times around the the technology boom. I mean, that I, I remember back in the '90s when it really took off uh, for the programming market in particular. Um, and then you know, back in some of the mortgage crisis and of those, you know, we've dealt with with times on both ends where there was more way more work and people did a lot of job jumping. Um, and if you didn't protect yourself as a business, you could really get yourself in trouble and get far behind and end up paying way more than the original people you were paying and, and now not have the experience that they had. Um, so that, I mean, that's always a concern. Um, and then, you know, there, there's the, the other, the, the concern when the economy goes bad of, of having, you know, the no jobs uh, aspect as well. Uh, from from our point of view as a company, you know, um, we were deemed a, nece- a necessary business during um, during COVID, and so we we made a priority to to keep our technical staff as happy as humanly possible, um, given the circumstances, and you know that's been important. And from my perspective, uh, it's all it's been throughout my career. It's been one of the more important things. As, as you know, as technology changes, you know, in IT, you have to keep up with the latest, the latest and greatest technologies, or you're going to, you're going to be way behind and it's much harder to find a job. So one of the great ironies I've always found is that one of the best ways for me to keep people is to keep them happy and working on latest technologies. Uh, so the more marketable they are, the less likely they're sometimes to leave. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, <laughs> the uh, keeping them up on those technologies. So constant training, constant. Um, oh, uh, we were just talking about it. The uh, the career path, the professional development. Um, so, do you guys provide um, any kind of uh, incentives, or do you provide um, time in the day for that professional development or is it something that you request that the employees do on their own time um, but potentially try to provide some resources for well usually uh, I usually provide res- some sort of resources for uh, for them um, it's very rare that I uh, find a need I mean that I find the time to just just go out and have them learn but what I sometimes will do is on some of the projects, um, I may not choose the the resource that might be able to get that done the quickest um, if I see an opportunity for to get them some knowledge on a new technology um, and, and, you know, give that to a more junior resource that's never worked with that kind of technology. Someone else may not have worked with it much, but and then the, the, the real key also then is once somebody has learned some stuff that's new is to is to help them. Um, 
yeah, allow them, I guess, to uh, help some of their coworkers and, and get them up to speed on some of the new technologies. That way you're not having to learn it all on your own. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, it, I guess, you know, you, you can say I am using some of the time, giving them the time to, to do a project a little bit slower in, uh, but, you know, helps them in the long run and helps, you know, hopefully helps the company as well. Yeah. So like one of the things that I try to do is make sure that um, like the level one help desk people, um, if if we're not utterly slammed, which we have been uh, as of late, you know, try to provide them with like an hour a week that they can go do some of the online tutorials or, or online learning that, that we've provided for access for them. Um, but, you know, again, uh, with that, that that caveat of um, if time allows, and as of late, you know, with the environment we've been in, there has not been time. We, yeah, yeah. You don't want that to become a negative and uh, push someone towards more overtime, which is not not at all what you want. Yeah, yeah, definitely not for that. Now, um, one of the things that you mentioned a few minutes ago, you mentioned something about programming, and and I remember you mentioning that programming was where you got your start. So, So tell me about the beginning of your career. Um, so I came out uh, around uh, in, in 94, um, and uh, I was a C and Unix programmer. Um, quickly moved on to C++ uh, and then Visual C++, uh, so I got a little bit further into the Microsoft side of things. Um, so yeah, I did a lot, of, a lot of coding for a lot of software companies, largely in the Atlanta area. Um, which was, you know, definitely a different environment than some of these different uh, other businesses that are that has a different priority. Uh, software, the software world, when you're that is your product, and the way they uh, the programming and all of that is just a different environment. Um, so, you know, kind of worked through C plus plus into .NET, C sharp, and then I moved on to a lot of database work as well. Uh, then kind of some DBA work. What sparked the uh, programming bug for you? Um, so, I mean, when I was an uh, undergrad, I was kind of bouncing around on major, through majors. I was originally a physics major. Wasn't sure what I was going to do with that for a living. Um, settled uh, in math and minored in computer science. Um, I, when I was younger, I had done uh, some programming, um, old Apple II basic uh, and then some Fortran on an old VIC-20. Um, wasn't sure that that was the life I wanted to live, uh, but bounced around. And then I started realizing, well, you know, eventually I'm going to have to get a real job in this this lifetime. Yeah. And uh, seemed like this was a good move and I was pretty good at it. So it, it gave me some, you know, some, some something applied for my math skills. And I, I did that as well. Uh, then I, uh, first few years out, out of school, Wanted to make sure that I was qualified. wasn't you know It was a little different environment, or I wasn't sure as sure of the environment back then. And that's when I went ahead and got my master's degree in computer science as well. Okay, you know, I I I was a little confused, or or not really didn't have much of a focus when I was going and working on my undergrad, and um, asked one of my favorite professors for some guidance. And he's like, "Hey, you seem to be pretty good at computers, and and." You seem to know business. Why don't you head that direction? And I kept telling myself, I'm never going to be a programmer, never going to be a programmer. And then it sounds like um, 
something that you found was that you were pretty good at it. I found that I was really good at debugging and and figuring out what what was going wrong with the program. I seem to be one of the leads in in my class on being able to figure that kind of stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love that kind of problem solving. I still love that to this day. That's not necessarily the uh, the the the, the golden side of programming, but it, it's actually a lot of times the most interesting for me. Yeah, because it definitely, I mean, you got to start figuring out, okay, what's it supposed to do? What's it not doing? And how do I, how do I start isolating pieces of it to figure out um, exactly where it's not doing what I want? Right. And what do I change? And what does that mean when I change it? Which is one of the bigger items as well there. Yeah. And especially uh, if it's so coming in after the fact. Yeah, and it, that's one of those things when I'm dealing, especially uh, some of the vendors, when you start re- realizing, oh, they are they don't have a system for this. They are throwing things up against the wall and hoping they stick. And it's like <laughs> in the, getting a handle of, you know, and then you guys like, no, we're going to get a handle on this. We're going to change this, and then we're going to see what that means. And then we're going to change this and see what that means. And, you know. Yeah, step-by-step de- debugging and, and just problem solving. Right. Um, so after after you got that master's, um, where'd you head? Um, you're VP of IT now, so there's there's a little bit of a gap between the, <laughs> the programmer and, and that. Um, you know, still some more programming jobs. Uh, you kind of moved into a team lead role. Um, you know, you've, you definitely find in this field that uh, if you are just even a decent communicator, then you'll you'll end up moving up a little, and I think you'll also start dealing with the uh, some of the different sides of the business um, quicker because you can actually communicate and in, uh, in, in a useful manner. Um, and I think graduate school and then working a job at that time where I was probably the least bad communicator on the team, I ended up doing a lot of more of the pre-sales calls uh, with some clients. Or prospective clients, and uh, so my communication skills improved, and then I, I kind of learned how to to deal with the different business units. Uh, that sort of helped me move up. Um, then I, I I moved into uh, true management uh, of the of a team role, learned my lessons, uh, made my mistakes. I think as any young manager does. Uh, then kind of moved into consulting. Um, Got to see the world from a little bit of a different view from the consulting side as well. Um, and then was able to move into a director role at one of my clients um, and, and, and moved up from there. Um, moved, switched, just kind of moved to a, another promotion at a different company for a VP role. And then I've kind of, I've done that and I've run my own consulting company as well in the, in the interim. But um Ooh. What are the things that you've found to be really important or or the keys um, that helped you? So, I mean, you've already brought up communication, the ability to talk to others. Um, obvious, well, not obviously, I, I assume obviously, but um, I know that it's a key or a critical thing is the ability to listen, not just communicate, but you got to be able to hear what others are telling you. Um, so I'm assuming that you had that, you had the ability to talk to them. What other things did you find and, and like talk to me a little more about or explain to me a little more about the difference between um, in the consulting world and what did you, what, what real lessons did you learn there? 
Well, you know, of course, in the consulting world, you know, you have certain advantages of not being stuck, uh, you know, at, at your at your company and, and pigeonholed with what you're doing. So they, they you, you get to learn a lot more things and see it a little bit from the outside. Um, as you say, you know, listening to the to what they expect uh, or what they want is important. Uh, but also a, a lot of times they will try to they're, what they're going to try and tell you is they're trying to solve their problem, but they're not telling you what their problem actually is. They're trying to say, can you do this for me? And what you need to do is, well, what problem are you trying to solve with that? And yeah. we can go a step back. And I think that's that's sometimes where um, some of our colleagues in IT get stuck is they say no or no, that doesn't make any sense. We can't do that. Um, and instead of, okay, let's, let's go back, let's go back a step and see what problem are you solving and can we solve that? Or can we solve part of that, that makes your life easy enough that that that's no longer really your, your, your worst problem. Um, and that's, that's really, you know, taking that extra time to not just listen, but also truly understand where they're at, what they're, what they're, you know, a little bit of, a lot of empathy. I think the empathy for their situation and what problems they're trying to solve, because they don't always know uh, what technology can solve their problem. They're trying to solve it with what's in front of them. And that's, that may not be the, the, the solution for the problem. Amen to that one. There's so many times where um, somebody comes and says, I need you to do this. And, and I've met so many people that are within our profession that they go, okay. And they, grab that description and they run off and try to build that thing for them. And they never ask, well, wait, why are we doing this? What's the goal? Which is exactly what you're talking about of, of um, digging into it. Cause I, you know, they, there's a, that saying that I don't know how often you hear it. I, I keep hearing it a lot. You know, if all you got is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. That's very much what I was, you know, very similar thinking on that as well. Yeah. yeah. They, they tried to take the smallest thing and use that over and over and over again. So, Yeah, they take their frame of reference and use, they use the tools that they know of and the tools that they're used to. And I've always found uh, I tend to collect a lot more tools or be aware of tools that may be in the box that I may not be using, but I at least know who to go to to find out how to use it and um, try to help get to the actual solution that we're looking for. Right. Yeah, another thing that uh, I think of, there was a, uh, a negotiations class that I took um, that I've, I've been able to use some of the, the concepts from that. Um, and just everyday life um, where, you know, stop, stop looking at every negotiation or any, in any dealing as a me win versus you win. It's like, how do the two of us win together? Um, and that's, that's kind of how I, I instead of being the, a constant pushback, it's uh, okay. I'm not sure that we can do that. And here's why here's my problem. So that, you know, that gives the user a little empathy for your problem. But what if we try to do this and then we start solving the problem together um, with us knowing the technology side of it and then them knowing how they, they work and how often that that at least at the very least, if we come out of it with that empathy for each other's issues and we're both, we're both on the same side, 
um, here at TIE is the first time I've, I've run into this, but we have a concept um, called noble intent. And there's an, uh, it's basically, um, it came from some, I believe, army rangers that the idea was that there, there should be an assumption that our different teams, everyone has a, has a noble intent for the business. Everybody's goal is to do what's best for the business. So assume that first. Don't assume that anybody else is doing anything for the wrong reasons or because they just don't want to. I've heard people describe IT that before, way before, and I was like, well, that would be crazy for IT to not just want to do something. They probably have a reason. So, you know, so you know, noble intent says assume that if you're getting pushback, that there's a reason, and if you need to know why or or that, you know, you you should ask, but don't go away angry, um, you know, and 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 just and look at it and assume that everybody is working for the best of the company. Yeah, no, that's a a great a great point because um, there's so many times that. And, and I think I don't think there's anybody out there that hasn't experienced the um, reading of a text message or reading of an email through their emotions and misinterpreting um, what's going on. And and that having that understanding or that belief and noble intent um, would help slow at least the reaction to that or the mm -hmm. response to that versus. Um, people's tendency to just you know take it as well they're trying to do this right and whether it's us or whether it's them or you know <laughs> and even that right there that that statement us versus them we're all we're all on the same team trying to achieve the same goal of keeping the business profitable and doing the best that it can right yeah and and we just have our group that's we do it because we we use technology to help our job is to use technology uh, to help our teams use technology to solve our larger problems. Mm -hmm. So um, I notice a lot of um, project management uh, capabilities in your resume, also. Uh, yes, um, especially when it came around to the on the consulting side, it was fairly important to to keep that ability, and that's when I got my uh, my PMP. Um, that takes so, a few days. It does. It does. That was uh, that was a, a more difficult test than you, people might have given it credit for, um, and th that whole process. Uh, you know, and I, I'm certainly not a strict uh, PMBOK, uh PMP type of person. I, I definitely think each organization has different needs um, that need to be solved. Uh, one of the things that's working for, you know, like when you're working to a small or a small to mid-sized company, um, I don't think you, I think you should take the advantages that you have and being able to move quickly and then, you know, meet, have the process meet the uh, the need. Because um, you can, you know, one of the advantages in a smaller company is you can move quickly. Uh, larger companies, obviously, there's so many people and so many things going on. You do really have to worry about the, the larger processes. Um, so, you know, those are really the concepts I've taken from it uh, the most. Um, I am not an uh, inherently organized person. Uh, so adding those skills to my toolkit were, were important for me uh, and, and how I manage uh, processes. 
Yeah, um, it's definitely a skill set that is <clears throat> seems to be there's a, a certain subsection of us that, that just love that and, and take to it like ducks to water and then others that um, struggle with it. Um, I've always been kind of good at managing the chaos and and working through the chaos. But but like you're talking about where that it fosters things in the smaller organizations, but I'm getting to that point where I recognize that it um, stifles things in the larger organizations. And, and actually a lack of it causes a lack of um, deliverability on the larger and um, faster projects that need to be done for the larger enterprises. Right. Yeah, and that's definitely why, you know, a lot of the development these days is done in the more agile models um, as opposed to the older waterfall models. But the, the agile ones and I mean, you know, the whole concept around agile is to make sure that you are fitting the right process around uh, what needs to be done um, and and have a consistent, repeatable process. Um, and. You know, we've we've played around here quite a bit, depending on what projects we have on our length of our sprints. Um, and and sometimes we've gone for sprint, uh, doing a sprint, uh, weekly sprints, uh, because that way we, we could we could follow up. And that was what worked best for our team. And we've now settled out where we do essentially monthly sprints. Um, and then I've actually had different sprints for my staff internally and then some of uh, a different sprint for some of my um outsource staff as well uh but like i said it's, it's about you know fitting that right role and what what needs to be done if you have one programmer working on one thing then you don't really have to worry about your process near as much but suddenly when you have multiple people working on similar things it's a whole different ball game for sure um <laughs> uh, the uh the the sprints and working with that how how long ago did you start doing that how um and i mean switching from the waterfall to the agile um was it kind of a natural transition was it something that took some time was it something that you brought to the current organization and said you know what we just need to go this way yeah the um current organization were they were trying to implement some agile stuff, and uh, that was one actually one of the things that they, when they brought me on, I think excited them uh, about me, um, and so we kind of revamped their entire uh, process at that time. Um, we, they they were already using Jira. I don't really think that they really were getting the concepts uh, around some of the uh, Scrum in particular. Uh, what that's, or I don't even know if that they were trying to implement Scrum, but that's essentially what I implemented um, here. Um, the, uh, you know, in, in my history, uh, you know, and we very quickly got a lot of advantages very, very quickly, especially when we were suddenly now had some of the um, the different business units and a business owner that felt like they were part of the process was one of the advantages we got from using Scrum and, and the Agile uh, was that that they needed to, they could now understand okay this is what we think we can get done uh, these are the items types of things we can get done which ones do you want um, in this amount of time and when they're part of it then there, there's just a lot less 
uh, uh, the finger pointing, and they they really they get the empathy for what the team's doing, and then we're we're moving forward um, consistently, and then they're not waiting for three months, and then they get something dropped on their desk, and they're like, "What is this? This is not at all what we wanted." Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, we're right back into that that whole thread of communication. Mm-hmm. So that constant feedback loop, that constant communication with the um, the business side of the house, uh, making sure that you're on target, that you're delivering, um, or they're seeing the progress being made and that it's headed in the direction they want um, versus that um, old school waterfall or, or the toss over the wall, let me go work on this. And then you return, like you said, three months later. And, and just drop it off, go, well, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I think it also helps, you know, when there are mistakes made, we've made the mistakes together. Um, and then we'll learn from them and then we can quickly move on from them and what's next. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll succeed together and we'll, we'll make mistakes together, but we'll, it will be together and it will be done with, as we say, noble intent. Um, what other, uh, what other things would you like to bring up about the, uh, the career and the history and, and what, what can we tell the youngins who are listening to us or even, even the old guys that are trying to get out of the, uh, the programmer's closet or to stretch their wings and challenge themselves? Um, you know, for the younger folks, I mean, I definitely think, you know, making sure that you can find the right job or at least the right fit for you. Um, make sure that, you know, you're set up for success. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the things you'll find, um, especially moving into more of a middle management role is that you don't always have a, a ton of control, but you do have a lot expected of you at that point, you're managing a team, but making sure that, you know, you can stay, on the same page as, as whoever you report to and making sure that, you know, that they're, they're good with the direction that we're moving, why you're moving the direction the decisions you are making um, is extremely important. Um, like I said, you know, make sure that this is a, a job that you're not re, re, uh, too badly redefining what is successful. You want, you want to make sure that you have a certain amount of control over your own destiny. You know, um, and, you actually bring up another point that I've been hearing more and more about, and it's something that that my children and I, um, you know, I, I sometimes I go into a job and I just keep going and I do my best to succeed at that. And and you you mentioned a job that's right for you. Um, what are your uh, what are what are the lessons that you've learned around that? What have what have you discovered? Because I've been with one organization for 20 years. Um, you've got 20 plus years in the industry, but bounced, not bounced, but migrated from different types of jobs, different um, roles. What what have you found along the way around as you ventured down that journey? About- um defining what is the right job for you? What do you mean? Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with uh, where you are in life, where you are with, uh, you know, with kids. Um, One of the reasons I stepped back at one point in time, um, 
back into, I, I went back into consulting. Uh, ran, like I said, I ran my own consulting company. Uh, and then while I was doing that, I actually got divorced. Um, and that sort of changed my life. Now I was a, 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 a single dad um, wanting to make all my kids soccer games. And I was also a soccer coach for that matter. Um, so that, that kind of changed what was the right fit for me at that point in time in my life. Um, something that had a certain level of flexibility. Um, as the kids got older, um, then it was, you know, it's just a lot, it was, it was easier to get back into a job. Um, but I still wanted a certain level of flexibility. One of the things I like about where I'm currently at is, you know, our, our ability, you know, I can be flexible when I need to be. Um, I was able to, if I needed to suddenly go jump up and it's not far from my house or my daughter's school, I was able to you know, if if suddenly she was sick, it was very easy for me to go pop right over, take her home, come back or do whatever I needed to do. Those are some of those things that make, make sure your work-life balance is good. Um, Make sure the goals of the company. I I think another major thing that you should look at is, is really the people that are around you. And do you have good mentors um, at a company? Um, Do you have people that are going to help you and care about you and your career and have done some of the things that you're you're looking to do. Okay. Um, <clears throat> interesting. You know, I I, um, I find myself contemplating those kinds of things today, and and you know, what's next? Where where where's tomorrow? So um, I, I love that you've uh, found that and looked for that, and and. Um, I hope that you're enjoying yours. I do. It's it's actually a very good place to work. We have a lot of people here that have been here, you know, 25 and 30 years. Um, you don't get that that much anymore. Um, and and there's 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 some reasons for it here. Okay. Yeah, there's not too many people that are in the 20 plus realm at, at the organizations that I'm working at. Um, of course, the owner and and the uh, co-founders and and that group, but and the family, but the uh, number of people out of three thousand employees, I think there's under twenty or twenty five that have been at the organization fifteen or more years. So that's still not a bad, you know. Some of that, of course, has, I'm sure is growth as well. But yeah, yeah, of course. And then transportation, we have a. a you know, the industry norm for turnover is like 85%, if not greater. So, yeah. But that's that's more amongst the uh, truck drivers than it is the office staff. Um, so, um, when it comes to entertainment or when it comes to your personal life and, and downtime, are you on computers? Are you watching movies? Are you playing video games? Are you out hiking in the woods? Um, as I said before, I, I am a, uh, I, I, I coach, uh, clo- soccer. uh, club soccer. Yeah. I coach club soccer. Um, uh, my daughter is still a soccer player. She's a senior in high school. Um, now she's at a different club. So, uh, that, that's quite a bit of my time there. Um, and I'm still debating on whether or not I'm retiring as a soccer referee. Yeah. Uh, so that takes a lot of my time. Um, Love uh, going to music festivals um, when we get when we get a chance. Uh, got to a, went to a great one in Memphis this year. Uh, 
So that those are kind of be my my new things. I guess uh, as soon as my daughter is out of the house next year in college, I'll be empty nesting and have to get back to some maybe some of my older things, including uh, I was a bass player and uh, I used to be a scratch golfer, but uh, that's gone long down. Mm. I haven't even picked up a club in a while, so. So it, it sounds like you're not spending your downtime on utilizing technology. You're you're out there enjoying, you know, the mentoring that you were talking about um, with the coaching, um, music, and and of course the uh, golfing, which you haven't done in a little while. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I. I mean, I sometimes for from a career perspective, or if something comes out, I'll I'll, I'll listen to it. But. Um, to stories about uh you know podcasts or things but um i don't i don't do a lot of technology anymore at home um i do uh one of the things i have been working on is i'm trying to get some uh uh timers and controls over uh, a central thing for my uh, i have several saltwater fish tanks and uh do, do some of the tracking um of water quality and stuff like that uh on technology, but that's really probably the biggest thing I, I, I do technology-wise at home. Is some of that, yeah, just trying to build those so you can't just buy them ready-made or or they're just too expensive and you know too much about technology to be willing to pay that much for it. That's that last one. Um, <laughs> trying to justify, just trying to justify that as you're about to send uh, a kid to college uh, that spend. Uh, saltwater tanks are expensive enough as it is, so... Uh, some of those systems run quite a bit of money. Uh, the lighting alone is 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 enough money. So yeah, trying to manage all that, and I've I got enough of a technology background, and sometimes that helps keep me up on my technology. As you know, as you know, when you get into management, sometimes you get a layer above the hands-on, um, and sometimes it's good to have a little bit get your your uh, your hands a little dirty again. Yeah. So, okay, that's a, an interesting topic too. Um, how much do you find yourself doing the uh, management slash leadership versus the actual hands-in um, deep dive into the technology, guiding the uh, the team or helping them solve things? Um, do you so, do you find yourself so, separating that? Uh, I um, I probably help my team help the team probably 40% of my time, 40 to 50%. Um, I get a little hand, you know, direct hands on, you know, maybe no more than 10 to 15, probably percent of my time uh, anymore. And then, um, and then the rest is, is more management style, pure, pure management style duties, uh, you know, managing the sprints, managing um, priorities, working with the executive team, those kinds of things. Uh, so a lot of it is, helping them think through and work through their problems. Uh, sometimes I'll touch code doing that, or I'll, I'll look at code with them when they're running into a problem uh, and help them think it through. Uh, you know, there's, there's always that classic about the time they explain it to you, then they, they understand what the problem is in their own head and they just walk away. <laughs> yep. I was going to ask had that, about that. I've had that many times myself. You're just banging your head into a, into a, into a problem, just cannot solve it try to get some help and you've explained and in your explanation, you've solved the problem yourself. You're like, I'm done. Never mind. I'm good. <laughs> you're walking through it and you're like, Oh man, that, yeah, that was, was obvious. 
staring me in the face because I couldn't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, and it's just using those different circuits inside of my own brain to um, verbalize it versus being stuck in my head, just looking at it and thinking it through. Right. Which is, it's it's always interested me how we do that. And and it seems to be a common thing for, for all of us within IT trying to, you know, I'm stuck on this problem and let me explain it to you. Oh, wait. Never mind. <laughs> and then walking away, just like you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> all right. So uh, uh, here's something else that we all are saddled with anymore. So is it an Android phone or an iPhone? I am on an iPhone. I wondered. Why do you, was it the first one that you picked up? Or? It was not. I had an Android. Um, I originally had a BlackBerry. It was my first small <laughs> smartphone if you want to call that a smartphone, if you want to call that a semi-smartphone. Um, but the, uh, um, and then I had the Android. I liked the Androids. And oddly enough, uh, I actually, I was just a few days from being able to get a new one. And my Android uh, got wet at an amusement park and got ruined. And the only thing I could get for free at that point in time was an iPhone. So I switched to the iPhone and Ever since, once you kind of get used to that technology, that's what you stick with. Um, you know, I, I think I would have normally stuck with the Android. Um, I kind of like the openness of that market a little bit more uh, as a developer. But, um, but yeah, I've been an iPhone user now for probably at least 10 years. Okay. Yeah, I remember when the, the crackberries, as I used to call them, um, having those, and that was actually one of the devices that I was, I was sitting there reading my emails with my uh, my BlackBerry held over the the giant pot of spaghetti that I was making for the evening, or or boiling the water with the noodles, and I realized, wait a minute, what am I doing? <laughs> it was one of the first times where I finally just set my phone down and said, I need to be where I'm at instead of on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was interesting, but I also remember how much I used to think that those new smartphones were some of the dumbest devices that I'd ever had because of simple features that they didn't include anymore, like speed dial or to to use speed dial. It was so complicated that it was um, it just was frustrating. Yeah, um, I definitely remember the uh, the old uh, keyboards on the uh, Crackberries. Yeah, <laughs> that took up most of the device. It was just like and there was tiny little things. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I think that it w- really wasn't that big a deal. I mean, my eyes are are not quite what they used to be, so I I, I, I don't know how difficult that would be on me anymore. Well, I think I could still use the keyboard on it, but and I I used to have a drawer full of um, blackberries where the little roller ball was <laughs> broken or gone. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, and then then all of the fun with the BlackBerry server, the BlackBerry Enterprise Service, Enterprise Server, and all of the fun that we used to have with that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I got anything else you want to bring up? You got any anything you want to promote? Any personal projects that you're working on? Like I said, our our biggest thing right now is uh, we. Well, I don't want to say it's our biggest thing, but our, our the biggest thing from a public standpoint is we are looking at the robots.com um, 
and uh, moving that over under our brand. Uh, we've we've kind of done the first stages of that, uh, taking it as is, um, and just switching it over to to our site. Um, but we're we're very excited about that as a marketplace, um, and uh, uh, I think that some, there's going to be quite a bit of opportunities for our business moving forward. Um, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was, you know, I brought up robots.com finally and, and started looking at it and, and some of the pictures that they have on the site, you know, um, I'm now looking at some of the, um, the giant arms that you're talking about, the different types of robots like that. So do you guys have a, um, a floor out there with like 30 or 50 different models of those uh, robot arms out there to like show customers or is it just that you're repairing them and then moving them out or are you guys trying to um, do creation around new capabilities from these devices are you is so, there anything interesting or, or new and, and challenging that you're doing along those lines on the robot side, um, I mean, we keep we have an extremely large warehouse here in, in Tennessee. Um, we actually have a another group um, that does a lot of the robotics arms up there, up in Michigan as well. Um, in fact, that's that there's there's strictly robotics up there. Here we, like I said, I do we we have this uh, very large warehouse full of our CNC controls and our motors, um, and then we have another third of the warehouse, which is dedicated to the robot side. There, we probably have in stock, um, I don't know, around 30 to 40 robots, robot arms in, at this facility um, that are in diff different uh, different levels of uh, ability to go out the door. Uh, and then we have several that are, you know, sitting and being demoed or being ready to be tested. Um, or are in going over, over long-term testing that are just running constantly on our floor here. Um, and then up in Michigan, we have, like I said, that's actually strictly robots. So we have a, quite a few more robots up there sitting out there on that floor. Uh, what we have is kind of a unique uh, offering is what we call integration ready. Uh, robots have to be very customized for whatever use they're they're going to whether they're going to be used for. And uh, so there's a lot of, there's companies out there that perform that service of uh, service providers, essentially that take integrators um, that take and integrate that ro robot into a, a customer's plant. Uh, one of our unique uh, offerings is that we actually go an extra stage from what they normally deal with, which is a very uh, basic robot, um, and it's going to be have to have to go through that custom customization. Ours comes out what we call integration ready, and that the integrator is able to take it, do very little, have to do very little work with it, uh, the basic um, adjustments that have to be done, and then it is ready to go in at a client site. Um, that gives us, you know, we're pretty much the only one in the industry that has that, especially on the aftermarket side. Um, and, you know, obviously what makes us different is we have the industry experience uh, to be able to do that and know what that's going to look like. Uh, so we have stuff that's ready, but 
Um, we go, like I said, what we'll have to do is we, we have a full project ma management routine that we have to go through when we get in an order because it's every, every time it's going to be a little bit different. They're going to have different software needs, different risk needs, uh, um, just different setups on each one of those types of robots. And we actually perform that here as well. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was wondering as you were speaking, you know, and, and you started to mention a little around it. The, the different skill sets that you have to have available to be able to do that level of integration, no matter what the customer's systems are. Um, is it, I'm assuming that it's not fairly standard across the industry to interact with these robots. It's all around the ERP or the management system or the production system. And, well, it's around the production system and the control um, and however they want to get that set up to do whatever it's doing. I mean, because, you know, these robots can be used for quite a few different things from just moving. You know, it could just be moving pallets. That's a very specific, um, what, simplistic task. Uh, but these robots can, it's the same, essentially the same robot with different um, setup and, and, and different integration that does uh, welding. And uh, the, the way a weld cell works is it actually can work on multiple parts at the same time. And like, well, you know, it, it does part on one part and then there's going to be a cooling cycle. It moves over to the other side, starts to, to, to weld part of that. Um, it's just a lot just depends. And there's just there's just a million different things that you can do with the, the robots, um, you know, it, or you even run into different robots that are literally their purpose in life is just to put tops on things. Um, that's a, that's a different style than that arm robot that you're looking at. Uh, but that's, you know, you might see 24 bottles get pulled into something and then those tops come down and get screwed on top properly. Um, right. you know, there's just, a, just a, a lot of different things in robots. We don't do as many of those. We have some of those. Um, but we, the, the arms are, are primarily what we do, um, as of right now, but they, uh, like I said, there, there, there is, there's a lot more when it comes to that integration. And like I said, the integrators are the ones who put it in at the end. But what they're getting from us is they know it's a, it's a much more ready for them to work with product. Um, they don't have to get that in three months before the, before it goes live and go, okay, now what? What's our problem going to be with this one? Yeah. So you guys are bringing them the the physically ready, um, reconditioned device that they know is working with the right software on it, the right licensing, all of that. Okay. True. Um, got any wild stories or, or things that have, um, any of the, um, oh, myths or, or not even myths, but you know, just the stories that get told around the water cooler for the new employees about things that have happened. Uh, or, with <laughs> Or am I crossing a boundary here? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I don't think. I mean, it, it's uh, obviously it, it's a it's a different environment um, in terms of, uh, of of what our users are used to, and you know we're very much much more like a uh, um, a mechanic shop or or something like that in terms of our users. So ne not necessarily our users aren't always the most sophisticated. Um, in terms of actually using technology, we have s several groups at our company that would never would prefer never to use email ever. Um, but I don't know that I have anything that I, that, that I really could share. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely not looking for the Skynet story, and, and definitely <laughs> don't don't want to put you in in trouble well, with I will with say your that, organization. Um, the, the company I mentioned before, Fanic, uh-huh. um, it was a Fanic control that uh, helped uh, uh, destroy the uh, the Terminator in the yeah. first Terminator movie. When he was crushed in that vice, it was a Fanic control that was used to do that. That that big button that they were reaching over and grabbing. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's just cool. our, our our other website for, like I said, on the control side is uh, fanicworld.com. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Um, one more chance. Anything else you want to promote besides robots.com and, and um, Ty? Uh, I think that's it. All right. Well, it has been an interesting conversation. I've really enjoyed the time. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, I did. Thank you very much been great to meet you david nice meeting you nice meeting you and i hope you have wonderful holidays and and we'll hopefully talk again more soon all right sounds good thank you thank you sir 